Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stream. Where this? Eagle is on tech. I, Eagle Falcon. So for this subscriber episode, I'm gonna do things a little differently. First, I'm gonna go over the stats. Normally on these episodes, I go over the stats a little bit, give you a little bit of inside out, what's going on, and then I go on to, and, and you know, just tell you what what the state is of it. But before then, I usually do the stories. This time around, I'm going to do it the opposite way. This time around, I'm going to go ahead and start with the stats because I want to actually talk about towards the end of this, and I'll give you plenty of spoiler warnings that you can tune out before I get into the details about the structure of Final Fantasy XIV and how it really differentiates itself from other MMOs. I did a little bit of it before from the back end sort of things, but the fact that this MMO is still gaining steam on its upcoming expansion is still fascinating. We're also going to get to NFT, get a, a little bit of insight I've had recently on NFTs. So let's just dive right in. So for starters, I started reaching out to a number of places as far as getting more distribution for Eagle Eyes on Tech and the early bird briefing. I have not heard a whole lot back yet, but there have been a couple of interesting little offers. And unfortunately, I have nothing really to report on them as of yet. Some about r running ad additional ads on our podcast. Now, if I do go that route, I will just stay very bluntly right here. That this subscriber episode will never have ads on it, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The other bot podcast, the only time there's going to be breaks in it, is either going to be a pre-roll ad on the early bird briefing, which I'm always going to keep short, and then Eagle Eyes on Tech, where I haven't really decided how long I'm willing to go on an ad break. But, you know, we have pre-designated ad breaks. You know when they're going to be. And it's not going to be like mid-sentence sort of nonsense like I see a lot of other people do. That was one thing I actually really did dislike about a lot of auto features. I can't even tell you how many podcasting platforms did this. Like, we can offer ads. All right, cool. Just hit this button. I'm making interject them. Sweet. It cut off mid-sentence. It's like the auto thing. Don't worry, our algorithm will make sure it puts it in opportune times. No, it won't. Just let me do it. And that is still one thing I do love about Spreaker. And this isn't a head for Spreaker, but man. It is just night and day using other podcasting platforms and using, I mean, not Spreaker, uh, Anchor. No, Spreaker I'm actually still kind of miffed about because... They literally, and I, do, and I was unaware of this, they took the three-minute early bird briefing and threw a minute and a half of ads in front of it. I specifically tell them, one ad, one, that's it. And it's like, that's too few. We're going to add more. You really should put one at the beginning and at the end on these three-minute podcasts. And then the one ad break, they put two ads. It's killing me here. 
But no, I have gotten some offers for guests. I, I don't know what to do in regards to guests. So many people want to say like, who's your guest in your podcast? Who's your guest in your podcast? Who's your guest in your podcast? I've gone six years without guests. I've had guest hosts. I've had guest co-hosts. But like true blue guests, I don't know how it would fit into the form factor of Eagle Eyes on Tech. And I don't know. I really don't. But more and more and more, I get pressured for, who's your guest going to be? Who's your guest going to be? Who's your guest going to be? Hey, you should take me as a guest. Hey, you should take me as a guest. I just don't see Eagle Eyes on Tech being a good outlet for guests. But then I look at my numbers and it's, you know, we're growing slowly. We actually took a, let me actually take a look here real quick at the early bird briefing. Um, dipped these last couple of days, but uh, recently went back up yesterday as far as plays. It's, it's basically like staying stable for the most part. I am seeing more and more viewers on Spotify now, whereas before like 60% of my viewership was other, now 39% is other, 22 is Spotify, 15 is is Overcast, 12 is Podcast Addict, 11 being the web browser. The thing is with the, um, while Anchor is good as far as the structure of it, analytics it's awful because anything that I have added extra like iHeartRadio just plops into other which tells me exactly nothing. It is awful in that regards. That's that's the uh, early bird briefing. Eagle Eyes on Tech, which is still like three times the volume and viewership of the early burb. That is at... Honestly, these last couple of days has been... Uh, Pretty lackluster. Been on a trend down lately, but, you know. At the same time, it also looks like the last Monday when the new episode played. There was a ton of views on that and then greatly tapered off. So it actually, it looks like the early or Eagle Eyes on Tech now is kind of following a normal trend that you see in podcasts where you see a surge in the number of people who have uh, who watch who listen to your podcast on the launch day and then it tapers off downhill from there um one thing that is coming up and I don't know if it's implemented it could be implemented already and anchor just badly told me but they're saying they're planning on implementing soon video podcasts And if that's the case, then I'm going to have to actually like redo a little bit in how I record. Well, the early bird briefing for starters. Eagle Eyes on Tech, it's not that bad. Just because I already do it live. So I just need to tweak that a little bit. Maybe make it a, a bit more professional and podcasty rather than something I quickly threw together so that I could continue broadcasting online. So that's the current state. 
Not a whole lot to uh, to talk about, but that is that. I want to talk for a minute about NFTs, though, because it just hit me what NFTs are. It really did just hit me. I'm not even kidding. I have cracked the code completely. Do you know what NFTs are? Have you ever, do you remember the Pepe pictures and how there was a massive run of those of Pepe the frog and trying to go ahead and make all kinds of different uh, versions of Pepe the frog and there'd be rare Pepe's that were sought after. That's what NFTs are. That's literally all they are. Basically, NFTs are digital beanie babies. But there's a difference. In the case of beanie babies, there's only one company that can make Beanie Babies, and it's very easy to see what is the difference between a legitimate Beanie Baby and a fraudulent Beanie Baby. All of these NFTs, which are right now the biggest turd of them all, is this monkey one. Absolutely biggest turd of them all. And people are spending stupid amounts of money on them. And a lot of them don't even think about it because it's Ethereum. Not connecting the dots that one Ethereum is worth close to $4,000. Ah, 10 Ethereum, whatever. Well, you just paid $40,000 for a monkey. Yes, but it's mine now. All right, where is it? You can't physically hold it. But of course, then that digital token is tied to you, you know, until it's hacked. But it's unhackable. Nothing is unhackable. Don't lie to yourself. You know that as well as I do. But the blockchain is unhackable. Yes, it's unhackable now. Will it be unhackable in two years and actually here's the better question you show off your your pixelated picture of a monkey i take your pixelated picture of a monkey i replace one pixel with the exact same color pixel but it has thus changed the picture and made it different while looking exactly the same and then recreate that as an NFT because, because an NFT by design is not centrally done at all. You can make an NFT of a stolen NFT. This is the problem with NFTs. Because it is not centralized, fraud is insanely simple. 
And you know what the NFT's crowd is to that? To just shame the thief. But here's the best thing. Because it is exactly the same with an NFT token tying it to my ownership, I can call the original owners a fake. And now my fake one, it might as well be the real one. You can't prove otherwise. This is the problem with NFTs. They are a fad and a lot of money is being thrown around and fraud is so, so brain dead simple and the effort being thrown into the art and that's who's the real victim in this. It's the art community. Because now all the people trying to make NFTs say this is beneficial for the art community, the art community wants nothing to do with this. Absolutely nothing. Because the overwhelming majority of them know that the mentality of a lot of people who purchase NFTs is toxic as heck. And they're not in it to actually appreciate the art. They're buying pixel art of monkeys for crying out loud or better yet, terrible art of dogs that was created in a pit crew system so that all one guy to do was make one system and then change a one to a two and then a two to a three and then a three to a four over and over and over again and just constantly do small edits and just crank out a ton of NFTs and sell them. The real profiteers of NFTs are already con artists in the first place. But it doesn't matter because it has real value. Even though it doesn't, I already showed you why it doesn't. Because in the end, even though you have a serial number on it, I can still copy it and put a new serial number on mine and accuse the original of being the fake. And you have no proof. That's the real problem. Not to mention, of course, NFTs are supported by a hilariously terrible system known as the blockchain, which uses everyone's compute power to do pretty much just random calculations and hope that, you know, it's all sustainable, which it's not. It just isn't. Piggybacking off the cryptocurrency blockchain, computers across the globe consuming thousands upon thousands of watts per person All just to track who owns a stupid pixel monkey. But hey, that's a smarter investment than a house, right? You know, the thing you live in. 
the value only go up. Why? Genius. In order for something to go up in value, someone has to think of it as worth more than you do. What is the value to an NFT? Especially if the NFT is of art that's bad. But this calculator says it's rare. I'm willing to bet these same people fall for the car extended warranty scam. And that's what I think is very quickly becoming of the NFT crowd. It is no longer about trying to prove that government-based money is going to go the way of the dinosaur. It is no longer about saying decentralization is the best. It is no longer about trying to say, you know, this is a great way for digital artists to make unique pieces of art. This is about powering a pyramid scheme. That is what NFTs are really about. It is one giant pyramid scheme, all being perpetuated by both the cryptocurrency crowd who are just true believers. And then also these two bit wannabe nothing artists creating nothing but junk art and then slapping an NFT on it and then making another tool to declare that their art is rarer than others, despite the fact that there is literally nothing, literally nothing stopping me from stealing their art, putting an NFT on it, and basically saying the original that was created is a fake. Your system is terrible, and I hope it dies. It is ripe with fraud, completely and utterly. There. I know I put up a poll saying, hey, are you sure you guys want me to talk about NFTs or, or FF14? And, and more people said FF14 than NFTs, but you know what? Forget it, because everyone needs to hear this, even though this is behind a paywall. I'll probably end up saying this again two weeks, two weeks later and it not being behind a paywall. But you know what? This is an epiphany I had on the way back home, especially when browsing Twitter, looking into some other tweets I've seen, and it finally clicked. This literally is a scam. No different than your car's extended warranty, than the Social Security Administration saying that you were suspending your Social Security number. It is no different. I'm going to warn you now, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, there are going to be Final Fantasy 14 story spoilers as we kind of, as I kind of just break down after going through the game twice now and it's MSQ and where I think it's going now and why the game is doing so well and why the hype for the next expansion is still going extremely well. But if you, if you want my short non-spoiler take, there's just simply more effort in it by taking the formula that did what world of Warcraft so well and actually deciding we're going to go ahead and tell a story and doing nothing but improving over and over and over again. They have just become an absolute gem of a game. And if, and you know, if you feel like you've got the spare time and you like 
fantasy based stories and and on I wouldn't even say online games. If you just like RPGs and are willing to play with other people, give Final Fantasy 14 a try. I strongly recommend it. Even if it's just a free trial, and I will warn you ahead of time. Do not think of this as an MMO. Do not think of this as something you have to interact with other people. You can. Don't misunderstand. You absolutely can interact with other people. You absolutely can go ahead and get a group of friends, make new friends, and get, and go take on big, bad bosses. That's absolutely in this game. But just the story alone is worth it, even though it starts very, very slow. But once it gets going, holy cow, does it get going. We'll be back. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So I have a lot of thoughts about FF14. I've had, had, and I've expressed them here and there. But um, what makes today especially unique is that, um, first off, uh, my extra alt that I've kind of leveled as on the side, on my own time, is nearing to be continued, meaning that that character is pretty much at the end of the current MSQ. The other aspect is also looking at the crafting, which is way more in-depth than it needs to be. Like, there's almost a mini-game built into the crafting system in which you can just in which there's kind of a planning process going ahead and creating the item and also increasing the chance for it to be a high quality item and of course the gathering system is uh not the best but still uh it's still better than most i would say and leveling it, you can get a lot of it leveled fairly easily. But one thing that really stands out about FF14 by far, without a doubt, is the story. And the first time I played through, I'll admit, a lot of it was lost on me for one big, big reason. I was streaming it. Whether you realize it or not, when I when anyone streams anything really, your focus is not on the game. There's a lot of details you end up missing because when you're streaming, not only are you playing a game and being judged how you're playing the game, no matter how understanding your chat is, you are always being judged. Always. Even if they're just like, ah, oh, don't worry, man, we're just here, here, for, here for the ride and enjoying it all, all, all with you. You play how you want, they're judging you. 
You know it. I know it. They're judging you. You are being judged at all times. And there's, of course, always, since there is a chat, you also are always considering you're, you're also moderating the chat as well. You want to make sure that their questions are answered. They're there to get interaction from you, and you must make sure you provide it. So already just from that, you end up missing a lot. And granted, the way that um, I answered a lot of the questions, granted, here's the thing with FF14. Despite being an MMO, the actual main plot is very linear. Extremely linear. There is only one path forward. The only variance there is is how you ask various things as the hero, as the warrior of light. And before you start going, that doesn't matter. It does, but it doesn't. The end result is not going to matter. In the end, the story is still going to progress as per normal. But you do get different responses. And after playing as as uh, Eagle Falcon, who, who, who I kind of picked the answers as a sarcastic idiot who's smug about himself and thinks he, he's everything, even though he knows he's not. You know, you, you got that kind of sass back. Playing as Secret Cat, who I kind of, who the character, it's the character I, that I use as Secret Cat, I'm not going to say who, the, the, the name of the char character, but a lot of people who have played D&D &D with me they could probably guess who Secret Cat is. It's a character that I've used in like two different MMOs now and in a number of different D&D campaigns. It's, it's a character that I, that's, that's held a special place in my heart. A lot of history with that character, who is basically a... Pre pretty much a, a shut-in, keeps-to-herself to alchemist who is not afraid to get out there and get her hands dirty, but never ever sees herself as the hero. She's always just there to just get the job done, go, go back and see what else we can make. Going through the story through that character's point of view has been absolutely fascinating. And not having the chat, not, ha not worrying about any eyeballs staring at you playing other than when you're in a group at, at that point, everyone's going to judge how you're playing. Then it has been a radically different experience. It really, really has been, especially if you just let yourself just get pulled in to the story, actually actually think about you know how when i do the podcast here and whenever i talk about a story i always try to put myself in the other person's shoes because that is actually how you get to the correct answer most of the times and how you find whether an article really is fake news or not You, you heard me do that time and time and time again on this podcast. And it turns out most of the time when I think through it, 
Normally I'm right. I say normally because I tried doing that recently with the MacBook Pro and defying all logic, Apple did the notch anyway, which still annoys me, but I digress. As I said, even going through a second time, Heaven's Ward is still slow. But post Heaven's Ward, it, or I'm sorry, not post Heaven's Ward, post A Realm Reborn, the 2.1 through 2.5 content is significantly easier to swallow. Holy cow. They've trimmed out so much fluff in there while not getting rid of any of the boss fights. And it works so much better now. That being said, of all the post of all the post expansion content, a realm reborn is still the worst. With that said, though, Heaven's Ward. Holy cow, Heaven's Ward. I let so much of Heaven's Ward and the stuff leading up to Heaven's Ward cloud my judgment on it. Because I made a, a terrible mistake on stream. And I thought to myself... This dragon nonsense stuff, that's secondary. I want, my focus was on what happened in Ulda. And actually the other thing that didn't help at all was because I moderate for another streamer, specifically Seven Sins. I saw in a, in a later expansion that Nanamo, the, um, the Sultana of Ulda, lives so to see her die at the end of a realm reborn what don't look at me like that i told i warned you there was gonna be spoilers that threw me for quite a loop and i was way 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 more focused on that part of it and I'll be blunt, as good of a method that was to get you out of Ulda and into the hands of Ishgard and the Foundation, they concluded that poorly. They did everything they could in Heaven's Ward to drop that plot as quickly as they could. just kind of hand wave it away it was still it, they they still hand waved it away really well but it was still hand waving it away trying to go ahead and say that oh it's it was all the lure out to leggy and whatnot it, it's, st it's still a lame ending you know it it's still a lame lame way to go about it Because if they, if they wanted to do it well, they wouldn't have, have killed off Teleji at Aleji. They would have let us on the side 
discover his machinations and bring him to justice rather than ra rather than um wow i can't raubon rather than having raubon kill him on the spot that would have been the far smarter way to go about it but at the same time let's also be perfectly honest we cannot look at um at that in a bubble i mean we can it's heaven's word is still a fantastic story as long as you do the exact opposite of what i did what i did was i focused on the story of the sultana far more than the story of dragon and man what you absolutely have to do is the exact opposite because the story of the sultana is far is far is far the the is far the weaker story of the two without a doubt that also being said stormblood man in hindsight now going through it twice i really do wish they had you fight more skirmishes with the empire to keep your interest along the way and i wish they had the dungeons more as skirmishes with the empire rather than hey you got drawn into siren island on the way to on kugane lol and then we'll see other ones. Oh yeah, the, the the one dungeon that was just a trial by ancient stone puzzles. And it just really underutilized that dramatic, that amazing boss theme that they had in Stormblood. Like that was a real shame. So, I mean, you could see where the improvements could be done. A Realm Reborn, there's tons of improvements that could have been done. But, I mean, they basically rebuilt the whole blasted game from almost complete scratch in a matter of eight months. I get it. Perfection's going to be pretty hard to accomplish in such a short amount of time. The fact that they got a working engine that was playable in that amount of time is still a miracle in and of itself. The same thing with the post content. They're still recovering from the exhaustion they put themselves in with Project A Realm Reborn. I get that post ARR is going to be a little sloppy in that regards. And guess what? It was. Especially since they're just like, oh, wait, we want to have a Moogle boss. Oh, wait, we forgot about Leviathan. Oh, we forgot about Shiva. Dude, how do we forget about Shiva? Um, 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 um. Oh, we'll put us a tie for Heaven's Ward. But you can kind of see how kind of these, oh, bleep moments kind of came in. And they just kind of shoehorned it in. But they still did it well enough that it didn't feel completely shoehorned in, even though it most likely was. And then, of course, Heaven's Ward itself does suffer quite a bit for it. Heck, one of the people from our stream found out that Alphano's dad apparently had a model way back in A Realm Reborn, the post-ARR content. So they were still kind of in a planning phase 
I would say you know when finally the pressure of Project Aurora Born finally pulled, finally, uh, finally kind of eased off. And this team of absolute top tier talent could do their work. Post Stormblood. I don't even think Stormblood. They still were dealing with some of the exhaustion because they didn't pace things out right. Post Heaven's Ward, though. Well done. Absolutely well done. Stormblood pacing's a bit slow at first. Like, the expansion doesn't feel like it really starts until about the two-thirds mark, which is just a shame. Shadowbringers, though. Shadowbringers. It yanks you into this, wor into this new world. And right off the bat, it sucker punches you and says... This is how hopeless the world is. Good luck fixing it. And it gives literally zero Fs about your feelings. And you are just going full bore pretty much the whole whole way. And when you thought you weren't going and when you thought you were already full bore towards the end, after you think, hey, I've beaten the last light warden. Oh no, 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 no. It turns out there is still more in the engine. We could still go harder. And then, of course, post Shadowbringers was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Which brings me to what I've been teasing this whole time. Why is the hype for Endwalker so strong? It's because Shadowbringers was so, so good at building up to Endwalker. The whole point of Endwalker is to give us the conclusion of these two great, what we're now told, are primal gods. And that, by far, is the biggest wrench thrown into all of this. Are Heidelin and Zodiark actual gods, or are they the same as every other false god known as a primal? And if that's the case, it raises so many other questions. And we know, we know we're going to get all the answers in Endwalker. Endwalker is supposed to be 50% 50 50 bigger than Shadowbringers. With how much is being promised for for Endwalker, if it weren't for the fact they already said that the level cap's going to be 90, I would not have surprised me at all if the level cap was going to be 100 in Endwalker. It would not have surprised me at all. Because everything's going to come to a head. What is Zodiac? What is Heidelin really? How is... How is Xenos going to fit into all this? How is Fandango going to fit into all this? 
Because so far, those two just seem to want to usher in the oblivion. But who knows? I'll say this much right now. I would be stunned if the final boss was either Xenos or Fandaniel. I don't think the big bad of of Endwalker is going to be either of our two main antagonists that were already being teased. I am willing to bet it is going to be either Zodiac or, and this would not surprise me, I would be shocked, but not surprised. I would, I would not take it off the table that our final boss could in fact be Heidelin. Now, with that all said, I don't want to go too deep into it. I've really been reluctant to kind of mention this sort of thing on the stream itself, but I feel like I had to get it off my chest. Because in the end, I don't know. I don't want to get into the heavy theory crafting because then that's how you end up being as crazy as Matt Pat. And yeah, Matt Pat makes a lot more off his uh, YouTube content than I do off this podcast and my Twitch content combined by far. But I like having a level of sanity to myself. Now, one last thing to talk about. And it is one thing I was recently working with on, on my main character, Blue Mage. Blue Mage, for those of you who don't know, is a class that has been in Final Fantasy since... Final Fantasy V. There's been a Blue Mage in Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII. Even though in Final Fantasy you can make anyone a Blue Mage, you can make a, a Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy XI, and now Final Fantasy XIV. Twelve and thirteen both did not have Blue Mages, and fifteen... Fifteen is just its own thing. And it's proud of being its own thing. So whatever. What a blue mage does is whenever it sees an enemy use a certain skill, it learns that skill. And one thing I kind of went back and forth with um, a certain person on the stream about how you could save a blue mage, I have come to a realization. Blue Mage and FF14 will never, ever, without a serious redesign and completely redoing how the entire class functions, be allowed to do content as the main classes. For one big reason. One huge reason. Because of the fact that a blue mage learns skills by watching other enemies, and thus no two blue mages can know the exact same skills guaranteed 100% of the time, there is no way to make sure when you get a blue mage that it's going to be a blue mage that can handle the task at hand. 
a blue mage actually has a skill it's called mighty guard where they can go ahead and tank so they can play the tank role they have a skill it's called white wind with white wind they can heal it's difficult it's an expensive heal it's a very potent heal and they'd have to keep spamming blood drain to make sure they get their mp back so they could heal again but they have a heal there's probably even other skills i've found that, that that i haven't found yet that you can heal with but when you look at the design of the game and that you know when you get a white mage they know they know regen they know some kind of, kind of cure they know glare they know holy they know a certain number of skills and the only thing that's going to differentiate one white mage from another as long as they're the same level is their gear and the skill level of the player you always know a white mage can heal if a warrior joins in you know they can tank if a gunbreaker Blake jo joins the party you know they're going to be a troll that's going to bring themselves down to one hp while also tanking if a black mage is in the party, you know they're going to stand still, take a, take a few hits so they can do more damage. There is that kind of consistency in their dungeon design, and that is why Final Fantasy XIV has thrived. Whereas Ragnarok Online and other previous RP, uh, MMORPGs prided themselves on variety, Final Fantasy XIV is able to well-designed dungeons time and time and time again, except for early on in A Realm Reborn because, well, they made a, they made a better MMO in frickin', you know, eight months. What did you expect? So, I mean, there, there, is, there is that. But there's no way to know what the Blue Mage knows. not without radically underline radically changing the class and then once you've done that then ask yourself is it a blue mage any longer is it still the class that learns enemy skills originally my thought was that Blue Mage could be salvaged and be brought to the same level as the other classes and be allowed to participate as much as the other classes. Just by going ahead and tweaking what certain abilities do because there's some combos with Blue Mage in which they can just basically insta-kill a whole bunch of nonsense. That's not the problem. The problem is how do you know that blue mage that queued up as a tank can tank how do you know that blue mage that that queued up as a healer can heal how do you know that blue mage that queued up as a dps role can dps that is the problem with blue mage and I, I wouldn't mind being proven wrong. I would not mind at all seeing one day 
that the Final Fantasy XIV crew went ahead and did a massive rework. They found a way to make it so that Blue Mage can participate in everything. But I just don't... I, I just don't see it happening. And keeping Blue Mage the way it is currently. But in the end, only time will tell. But that's my thoughts on... Final Fantasy 14 as to why it's doing so much better than other MMOs. Well, back to that consistency thing. I can queue up for basically any raid that's not savage and be guaranteed we're going to get a clear and that my time's not going to be wasted. I can't do the same for World of Warcraft. Heck, in World of Warcraft, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of game mechanics that are introduced and then killed. All kinds of little this and that's, and then of course, you see, and it, it's it's really is sad to see Blizzard, who were the kings of fantasy storytelling, tell this absolute hot garbage story. And that's really what keeps people interested in Final Fantasy XIV. We had our minds blown with Shadowbringers. The thought that the force we've been fighting for this whole time is just a false god that feeds on the ether of everything and could in fact just as just just as the first villain said is a parasite that must be burned out to get confirmation of that or not really confirmation but another voice telling that it really does make you wonder in this story but in the end, all we can do is just wait and see. And it also helps that Final Fantasy fourteen. There's so much to do. Even on my main, I haven't done everything yet. And even the side content, the raids. Hey, we went ahead and a added... Ruby, Emerald, Sapphire, and Diamond Weapon from Final Fantasy VII of the game. Oh, cool. Those sound like fun fights. They have an entire story arc on their construction. And it's a blasted good one. It's insane. The story of the Eden Raids trying to terraform a, a land cleansed pure white. By the corruptive light that almost brought an end to the to the first, and bring it bringing that empty wasteland back to flourish. They didn't have to do that. They could have said, "Hey, here's some cool boss fights. Enjoy." It worked for a while. Why not here? But they did it anyway.
And it's the same thing in every other expansion. Terra tried that. They did it really well at first. Unfortunately, Terra just, uh, after their first expansion, I don't know what they did with their staff, but their staff just stopped caring. And then that, that MMO went from doing pretty well to dead. I could probably sign in right now and there's going to be no one in the main town. Not a soul. That game is completely and utterly dead. World of Warcraft is seeing the same thing right now. Terrible design choice after terrible design choice after terrible design choice. And I've actually figured out what happened to WoW. It's easy to say Activision happened to WoW. I mean, that's, that's the easy answer. But you know what really killed it? The layoffs. Cycling through and changing out the staff over and over and over and over and over again. Basically almost having a completely different team tackle WoW every single time has killed WoW. And I'll tell you this right now. World of Warcraft as it stands, I think it's dead. I don't think there's any way to save what's there. Because whoever the new team is that's going to be taking over has to try and save that terrible story while still working on it. I think the only way it's going to live is with I'd hate to say WoW Reforged, but starting World of Warcraft over on either maybe the same engine or a new engine with updated textures and better graphics and whatnot. It doesn't have to be much better. Just a smidge better. I mean, we're still working with, you know, mostly 2004 graphics here with World of Warcraft. But it's just a minor improvement. Rebooting the whole story. And just planning out. What's going to happen. I think that is going to be the only way. Warcraft sees a future. But again. I'm just a tech guy behind a microphone. I wouldn't mind in this case. Being proven wrong all right i know i went a little long-winded there this is probably a really long uh bonus episode i think this is almost an hour so hopefully you enjoyed listening to my ramblings hopefully it wasn't uh too too terrible but folks that's gonna do it for me thank you so much for listening i do hope you check out if you haven't already this week's episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech, and also check out the early early bird briefing every day for uh, 2 a.m. Actually, now is when it first airs. But of course, it's a podcast; you can view it whenever. And of course, check out my Twitch page, twitch.tv/eaglefalcon. Take care, and hopefully, you have a great night or day 
or afternoon or whenever the heck you're listening to this.